Friends, a new year is a time of new beginnings, new resolutions, new hopes, new goals, new challenges, new habits. I wonder if you made any of those new things as you began this new year. It's not a bad idea to reset some things in our lives, to reflect on the past and seek to live life better in a more godly way, in a more God-honoring way in the new year. But have you ever began the new year hearing a sermon on facing our limitations? Not facing the new hopes or the new potential, the new things you hope to achieve, but facing our limitations. Well, that's exactly how we want to begin this year, because that's what Ecclesiastes is facing us with. We're picking up today where we left off a few weeks ago in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 8. We took a three-week break for December, and we're back into the sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes, and this morning we are continuing our series by reading from chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. Rather than thinking about goals and potentials and dreams, Ecclesiastes wants us to help, wants to help us take a, a real look at life in the context of its limitations. And the purpose of this sermon this morning is not to um, encourage us to be pessimistic, nor to develop an attitude of laziness or an attitude of escaping from our responsibilities. No, the purpose of this morning's sermon is to challenge us to live wisely, even in a world and even in a life full of limitations. Live wisely. So let's listen to the Word of God. It is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 from verse 1 to 17. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart, that all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not ex executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know 
that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his day like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on, on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me? Father, give us your spirit once again to understand your word. And give us your spirit to may understand your truth to us, we pray, for your glory and honor, in the name of Christ. Amen. Who can find it out? Perhaps, friends, as you heard this passage read, you may wonder, who can find out the interpretation of this text? What is this passage saying? Well, there's, there's four items or four bases I'd like to cover as we look at this passage. The first one is searching for the wise. Searching for the wise. Look at verse 1, and then we'll look at verse 17 together. The bookends of this text. Searching for the wise. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? Now, this, these two questions, especially the, the latter one, um, is found two more times in the Old Testament. This idea of who knows the interpretation um, is found, if you remember, the story of Joseph when uh, King Pharaoh had a dream and he couldn't understand and interpret his dreams. So he wondered who is able to interpret this dream. And, and, and they found out that there was a, a Jewish prisoner by the name of Joseph who was able to interpret the, king, the, the dreams. And Joseph come, appear, appears before before Pharaoh, and tells him, Oh, king, no human being is able to interpret this. But there's a God in heaven who's able to give the interpretation. The same experience happens in the book of Daniel, when the Babylonian king has some dreams that really trouble him, and he can't even remember the dreams. So he asks all his wise men in his kingdom, all the magicians, to come and, and bring their wisdom to fruition and, and show them, show the king who, what is the meaning of this dream. But no one is able to, to, to get that except a prisoner, a Jewish prisoner. Daniel is brought before the king. And Daniel again says, O king, no one is able to know these things except that there is a God in heaven who is able to give the interpretation. Who is wise? Who is like the wise? Who is able to 
know the interpretation of a thing. So when the question is asked, who is like the wise, the question is not who has a, a high IQ. The question is not asked, who is smart? Who knows all the answers to all the questions? In the context of Ecclesiastes, the question is not even a, who is able to interpret dreams, but rather, who is able to interpret well this life? Especially, who is able to interpret well the things of life, knowing that all of life is the work of God? We see this clearly in the last verse of our text, verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. And two more times we are given this picture in verse 17 that even though a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. And even though a wise man claims to know it, he cannot find it out. This search for wisdom, for interpreting the things of life, especially from God's perspective, is something we are not able to understand on our own terms. We cannot understand life, our life, any of the things in our life on our own if we don't understand the work of God in our life. Throughout this book, the preacher of Ecclesiastes has been giving us this, this dual perspective, looking at life under the sun as if all there is to this life is the things under the sun. That's one perspective. The other perspective is, is looking at this life under the sun, realizing that there is a God in heaven who has his hand over all the affairs of man and trying to understand this life from his perspective. So the question, who is wise or who is like the wise, really is a question that asks, who is able to understand this world as God intended it to be? And the answer is, left to ourselves, no one can understand it. Not in an absolute way. Not even those who claim to be wise, not even they can be trusted to give the right answers to the search for wisdom. This is not a very, very encouraging start at the beginning of a new year, is it? We should seek to be wise. But at the end of the day, even such wisdom searching God reveals that we are limited in that, in that search. And having a balanced view of our abilities, having a real view of our limitations, is part of the seeking of true wisdom. Also, as we will see later in this text, realizing our human limitations, even in searching for wisdom, should lead us to rely on the wisdom that comes not from ourselves, but on the wisdom that comes from God Himself, from the God who created this world, from the God who sustains it. Yet there are some great benefits in seeking wisdom. Even though limited, even though we don't have the power in ourselves to do it, there are some great benefits to seeking this wisdom. Look at verse 1. Man's wisdom make, makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. In other words, the wise person, the kind of person that has this wisdom that Ecclesiastes speaks of, the wise man shows his wisdom through his demeanor. 
even through his appearances. His gentleness is seen even on his face. He's a person characterized not by frustration or angriness or bitterness, even when things don't go well. Rather, wisdom makes his face shine. Remember, again, Joseph, when he was imprisoned, wrongly. Because he tried to honor God with his life. Remember how he was committed to, to live a, a life of purity, and because of that, he was actually thrown in prison. He could have been bitter. He could have been frustrated. He could have been upset with God and said, God, I've done this. I've lived to the best I could according to your ways. I sought to honor you, and now in return, here's what I get. This is not right. It seems like the righteous get the fate of the wicked. And yet, in Joseph's life, his demeanor, even in prison, was such that he received favor from his inmates and from his superiors. Here's a man who has received the wisdom of God to know how to live life even when life was not fair to him. Oh, friends, how often trials can fill the children of God with bitterness, angerness, and frustration. Our faces become hardened. And friends, no fake smile can truly heal the hardness of a face. But the wisdom of God can. The wisdom of God can heal the hardness of the face. Oh, friends, if we could understand the secrets of this wisdom, the wisdom that causes our face to shine, even when lives go wrong, even when our life goes through the valley of death or the shadow of darkness, the wisdom that changes the look of our faces, even when we have all the reasons to have hardened looks. And looking back at this year, at this past year, the Lord convicted me of times when I've grown frustrated, when my own heart and, and face has grown hardened, and I've been more diligent in seeking the wisdom of God. I may have been spared some of the hardness of my face. So the preacher in Ecclesiastes asks, who is like the wise? Who can interpret, who can understand the interpretation of a thing? There are great benefits to seeking this wisdom. So let's look at this wisdom when things cannot be changed. Wisdom when you can't change things. Look at verses 2 to 5. We have a picture of, of a man who stands before a king. He's probably a servant or one of his one of his generals, we don't know exactly who, but here's a man who stands in the presence of a king. Now, we don't have these experiences today. So we might say it's irrelevant. Well, it's not totally irrelevant. I think there's a principle that works well uh, in every situation that we see in this, in this context. Coming in the presence of a king, especially in ancient times, when personal rights were not observed, one should realize that the word of a king is supreme. His authority over the fate of mankind, especially in ancient times, was pretty close to absolute, humanly speaking. Don't ignore his command by not obeying. Don't ignore his authority by not obeying his commands. Don't ignore his authority by leaving early from his presence, especially when a person would not like what the king had to say. The temptation was simply to leave and not put up with his commands, and not, not become angry, just leave. Well, he's saying don't even leave. <laughs> don't leave. 
Don't leave your post. The way of wisdom, however, teaches us to, to submit to authority, to the authority that God places over us. And there are things we cannot do about that authority. Does this mean that a, a servant had to be totally, totally passive? No. When difficult situations arise, especially in the presence of a capricious king, here's a great principle. The wise, and here's verse 5, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. In other words, a wise person will be alert to God's timing and the proper procedures. Remember Esther in the book of, in the book of Esther? When she was faced with a very dangerous command that the king had issued against her people, Esther acted wisely in the right way and at the proper time. Remember the prophet Nathan when he had to confront King David about his sin with Bathsheba. Put yourself in a, in a prophet's shoes. You're supposed to face a king who could issue one word and your life would be in peril. And he had a command from the Lord of heaven to go and speak to a human king. And Nathan received the wisdom from God to speak to David by giving him a parable in which David judged the wicked man. And remember how Nathan told the king, David, you are that man. The wisdom needed to speak even to those in authority, even when we feel like we have no choice. Wisdom Friends, it's not simply about acting the right way, but acting the right way at the right time within the limitations of authority that God places over us, whether such authority is easy or difficult. Oh, friends, how easy it is for us to, to think that we, we're wise by, by escaping the authority that God places us over us, by trying to get rid of the limitations that God places over us. And there are times when, when that is not the right way. Here, Ecclesiastes tells this man, this, this wise person, don't escape it. God gives you wisdom. God gives wisdom to act rightly at the right time in the right circumstances within the limits that God places over you. The point of this example is that a person should learn to submit to authority, the authority that God allows over us even when such authority is difficult. And we see this principle again in, in verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. The man in this picture is a man under heavy troubles. He may have gone to the king to ask for help, to ask for some relief, but what he hears from the king does not alleviate his hardship. Part of the wisdom of God is to realize that our life seasons, seasons of joy, but also seasons of sorrow that are orchestrated by God. Remember chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes? For everything there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, and the list goes on. Here's the bottom line. The way of divine wisdom helps us to realize not only when to act and how to act, but also to realize and accept that there is a time for everything. 
Friends, I know we all want a great year ahead of us with great hopes. But for some of us, this year might be the year when God calls us home. Are you ready for it? For some of us, God will call us in, in the right time. We say we've lived a long life. For others, God may call us prematurely. There's a time for both. Do we understand that? This is the wisdom of God to help us understand. Don't escape the reality of our world by trying to focus only on the things that only on the on the positive side of things. There's a time for both. Embrace it. This is the kind of life, this is the kind of world God has created. And this text puts before us five limitations. Just, just five this morning. I'm going to go quickly through them. Verse 7, man cannot know the future, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? We don't know what 2016 will bring. We're limited in knowing that. Just realize we are limited. Here's a second limitation. Man cannot control the spirit. Verse 8, no man has power to retain the spirit. This word could mean wind, or it could mean the human spirit. Bottom line is, we cannot hold on to either to the wind, if we chase after the wind, nor can we hold on to our human spirits when God says, it's time for me to call you home. We can't hold on to it. Third limitation, man cannot control the day of his death. Look at verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Who among us? can determine when that day comes and who among us can face it and stand against it as, opposed, as if we could oppose and, and, and reject it. Here's a fourth limitation. Man cannot discharge himself from war. In the Hebrew language, this phrase, to, this reference to war is not simply to battle in general, but it refers to the war of death, the war with death itself. Someone once said, is one a death is one realm where every man must advance, and every man must advance alone to single combat, and every man in succession must fall. Do you realize that? Fifth limitation, look at verse 8, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Friends, wickedness is no refuge for us. We only get deeper into it. Wickedness will not be able to deliver us from death, and even if it seems like bad people have their way, have a better way in this life, trust in this promise. Wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. So the preacher of Ecclesiastes brings these five limitations to humble us, to enable us to, to realize our limitations and seek that wisdom which is not from us, not from within, that wisdom that is outside of us. It is good for us to acknowledge our limitations. It's good to be reminded that we have limits we cannot control. Friends, some of us have added to our difficulties by trying hard to change the things we can't change. By growing more frustrated in changing the things over which we have no power, rather than pursuing the path of trying to control those things that are not under our control, the way to divine wisdom the way of divine wisdom is to realize our human limitations 
and live within those limitations that God has allowed to live us in. Some of us might need to give up trying to change our husbands or wives. Amen to that? <laughs> Some of us have to give up trying to change limitations about, about our circumstances. And we need to embrace that the God of heaven knows what He's doing. Yes, it may not be the way we want it for us right now, but He knows the future. He has a plan we don't understand right now. But can we trust in His wisdom? Wisdom when we cannot change things. Here's another next point, the third base. Wisdom when you, when you see corruption. Wisdom when you see corruption. Then I saw the wicked, verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, in ancient times, um, the proper burial was a sign of honor treatment. So when someone did receive a, a good burial, it was a sign that they were honored when they died. When the preacher says, then I saw the wicked buried, this discouraged him. Because they were treated honorably even in their death. And actually he goes on and says, they used to go in and out of the holy places and were praised in the city where they had done such things. The corruption the preacher laments is not simply the corruption of the wicked. Here the preacher laments the corruption of society that praises wickedness. You see that? Here the preacher laments the corruption of the holy places that praises the wicked. The corruption of, if I will translate today, the corruption of the church who allow the wicked to go in and out without calling them to repentance. So what troubles the preacher is the praises that come to the wicked both from society and the holy places. How often, dear friends, wickedness has been respected and given the blessing of religion, even today. How often even Christians speak with praise about the wicked people just because of their success. How often Christians are looking at the blessings of the wicked and conclude that God must be okay with them and, and with, their, with those people because look at how much God has blessed them. Oh, friends, that is very, very bad logic. I've heard it. I've heard it among God's people. And I'm going to say it. it is bad logic. The presence of material blessings is no proof that somehow God is okay with someone. Friends, it is a sad reality when God's people are no longer able to call out wickedness and sin. When wicked people walk in and out of the church, not being called to repentance. This is the corruption of the church. When we let the wicked go unaddressed. But there's another corruption that the preacher highlights in verse 11. Not only the corruption of society, not only the corruption of the church, the corruption of the heart, the human heart. Look at verse 11. Because a sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. At the end of the day, corruption is found and is seated in the human heart. The human problem, said someone, is traced to the heart. We are corrupt at the source. That's why the news of the gospel, dear friends, the news of the gospel is that God comes to us in Christ to redeem us of our sin. And when He does that, He doesn't just give us a better version of ourselves. 
He doesn't just help us improve ourselves, making us a little better every day. No, friends, when God comes to us to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us through the good news of Christ, we are told that when, when we respond to Him in faith and repentance, He makes us a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 18, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, this Christ who came to redeem us, to save us, if anyone is in Him, He is a new creation. The old has gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Oh, friend, God's solution to our corruption was to send Christ to become sin in our place. And for our sake, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, God changes us from within by giving us a new heart and making us a new creation. If you don't know the power of this gospel to make you new, a new creation, I pray, I encourage you, come and talk to me at the end of the service. I'd love to, to lead you in this, in this response of the gospel that indeed makes us a new creation. It's not just a mental assent. It's not just a mental acknowledgement. It's truly a change that, cre- that is created by the Spirit of God inside our hearts. Oh, friends, what is the solution? What is the wisdom when we see the corruption around us? The, the solution is the gospel. The gospel. But look at how this... The solution of faith manifests itself in the Old Testament. Before the news of Jesus appeared uh, explicitly, the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes has two ways he describes the solution of faith. When we see wisdom, when we see uh, the things we can't change, when we see corruption around us, what is the way of wisdom leading us like? In Ecclesiastes, there's two ways for this solution of faith. The first one is fear God. Fear God. Look at verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But not so with the wicked. Look at verse 13. But it will not be so with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. The solution to the corruption of society, the solution to the corruption of, of religion, the solution to the corruption of the human heart. In the Old Testament, the solution is fear God. Now, that fear is not the kind of fear that leads us away from God. It's not the kind of fear that makes us hide away from God. Oh, no, friends. Again, in the Old Testament poetic books, the fearing of God is that awe and that holy caution that arises from realizing the greatness of God from realizing His splendor, from realizing His majesty, from realizing His power, from realizing His righteousness. Therefore, men ought to fear God, to live live life in awe of God. This fear has appeared before in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it will appear again at the end of Ecclesiastes. But notice one thing about this fear. It's a fear before God. It's as if the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, this fear is living life with that awe that makes you live life before God. That makes you live life close to Him, in His light, in His presence, in His nearness. The fear of God is that fear which brings us close to God, 
which brings us before God. Oh, friends, this fear does not lead us to hide from Him, but to get close to Him, to seek to live our lives in His presence, in His light. Friends, when we seek to hide things from God or from God's people or from others, be assured of this, you are not walking in the fear of God. It's when we live in that fear of God that we actually want things to be brought in the light. And we want others to see them as well. And we love living in accountability relationships and opening up to let people know what's going on in our hearts, both the joys and the sorrows, both the, the victories and the temptations and the failures. And we come asking for help, asking God's people and God himself to help us live in that light. A life that fears God is a life that seeks to be close to him, staying away from wickedness and living life in his presence. But there's a second part, a second dimension of this solution of faith. Not only seeking to fear God, but seeking to live a life of joy. Living out joy. Look at verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with this in his toil through the, dark, through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When we see corruption, when we see so many limitations around us, so many weaknesses, so many things we can't control, it's so easy to give in to frustration, discouragement, angriness, bitterness. The way of wisdom teaches us to live joyfully, even in those days. To make the best of every day, even when it hurts. I'm not sure if you, if you were here last Sunday, um, our brother, Car uh, beloved brother Carl Van Rijs was here. He hasn't been here with us for a number of, of weeks and months. He said a phrase that I'm not sure if you caught it. And I wanted to say, Carl, it's as if you have been listening to every sermon in the book of Ecclesiastes. But he said a phrase that was powerful. Learn to live each day and enjoy it. Even when there's, humanly speaking, no prospect of, of physical healing for his wife, and the caring for her is so difficult, and with so many limitations and new limitations, I've been always blessed to go and see him. Because you see a man who's steadfast and resolute, and he still has a smile on his face. And every time I walk away, he says, one day at a time. Friends, that's what Ecclesiastes is teaching us. The wisdom of God is that no matter what happens, it's a life that can be pursued with joy, even when limitations increase. Remember James? Brothers, consider it a great joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Oh, friends, I pray. Pray that we would be characterized by this kind of joy. 
that the solution of faith is not just a pie in the sky. It's not just hope for heaven. It's also hope for us when we go and face our limitations. And that hope manifests in producing the unexplainable fruit and flower of, of joy in the midst of limitations. Wisdom when facing human limitations. Friends, how will you begin this new, this new year? We don't know what this year will bring for us. We don't know what kind of seasons the Lord has prepared for us. But one thing I know, no matter whether those seasons are good or bad, there is a wisdom from God that prepares us, that gives us a strength to face whatever will come so that that wisdom would soften the hardness of our hearts, would soften the hardness of our faces. So even in difficult times or good times, there will be that shine, there will be that radiance on the face of the people of God because the wisdom of God dwells in us. That wisdom that was fully manifested for us through Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, you reminded us today at the beginning of this new year that we don't know what the new year will be. We don't know what it will bring. But it doesn't matter because we know you. And we know the wisdom that you have revealed for us. And that wisdom comes as we, we look to you, as we seek to have a greater vision of you, as we seek to increase in our fear of you, in our awe of you. Oh God, we pray, would you increase in us a greater fear of you so that as we pursue your presence, as we pursue your awe, as we pursue to understand a greater vision of what you are like, we will be given the strength and the wisdom to live wisely and joyfully no matter what this life brings us. Almighty God, we pray that you would be our vision in this year for our life as long as you give us days to live. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.